Hey, this is your Aunties Could Never, a podcast where you get to hear from your favourite aunties who have all the real talk with our thoughts on what's going on in the world. We'll be reminiscing about what it was like back in our day, and most importantly, we'll be helping you sort out your daily dilemmas with advice only your coolest auntie will give. I'm Auntie AK, and I'm here with... I'm Auntie Farah. Auntie Nana. And Auntie Sade. Can you believe it? Episode 24, guys. I I cannot believe it. It's mad. Yes, we're aunties could never, and we're here live and direct through your devices. Um, hi guys, what have you heard? What have you heard in the news this week? So mine is like pretty straightforward. Sean Bailey, in response to Dawn Butler, who recently spoke out Ooh. about being stopped and profiled by the police, Sean Bailey, our wonderful conservative front runner for mayor, is he up for mayor or something like that? <laughs> yes. He said in response to Dawn, I've been chased by the National Front. I've been called the N-word. So I know what racism is, and I know the police aren't racist. To make a difference, we should improve relations between police and under-represented communities, not attack them for political gain. So I guess I just want to know if you guys heard about this. What do you think about Sean's comments and such? So Sean, I don't get what he gets from having this point of view. I don't understand where his end goal goes other than we see this same trajectory. You're going to be an apologist and then before you know it you're going to come back to the community talking about somebody was racist to me. I don't get why he's even relevant. (laughs) I'm I'm just not sure. I was really trying to go through his tweets and I was thinking what's his, what do you get out of this really? And you know that she's not lying I don't agree with everything that she does and I do, she is being an opportunist and I do think she is jumping on a bandwagon because we know stop and search has been happening for years and this policy really is a discriminatory policy. But she hasn't spoken about this before. She hasn't really been like backing or jumping to the defence of stop and search policies. So I feel like she's jumping on the bandwagon much like David Lammy does as well. It's like they pick black issues that are opportune and then they jump on it and ride the wave and have black opinion ride with them. So I'm not totally siding with um, Dawn on this either, but I was really getting like, what is Sean's plan? How is his position for the people? That's what I wanted to see. Is he doing a side turn that steers black people in a, in a positive direction? When I saw this come up, yeah, I was just like, what the hell, what's happening? Do you know what I mean? But then I thought, uh, you know what? This does happen all the time. I'm glad that Dawn did speak out on it, but it just kind of highlights that people only care about things when it happens to them. That includes black people across the board. So had this not had happened to her, yeah, I agree with Auntie Nana. I don't think she would have talked about this at all. But I do think that she highlighted some points to people, maybe some people who maybe wouldn't have listened to this type of thing or had a different opinion may be open to what she's saying. So I don't think it's totally opportunistic. I just think it's more individualistic, if that makes sense. And then, Sean, I I mean, the guy's running from there, right? (laughs) So I get why he's doing this and he'll probably garner some sort of support because of this. But you know, it's just so unhelpful. It's just not a conversation that needs to be had at all. And it's just like, to a certain extent, he's exactly the same as Dawn. 
because mm. he's saying from my point of view this doesn't happen and blah 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 do you know what I mean so none of it is really for the people or helping the people it's helping themselves individually so that's why I was just like okay this is just a nonsense but I did think that one of the I don't know the titles but one of the police officers that higher up responded on Twitter and said that they had spoken you know what was funny actually he responded and he said that he had spoken to Dawn and I'm thinking are you guys friends she should yes. be Miss Butler see you really <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but he was like that she said that one of the conducts of the police officers was okay and the other one the female officer just inflamed the situation and I thought that that was interesting because that's what I see time and time again on these clips that one police officer is actually okay and then another one is just there to just blow it up and make it more than it needs to be to kind of maybe incite some sort of a wreck. We see this time and time again. So Sean saying that he doesn't see this, then he's living under a rock. And I just can't support any person. Do you know what I mean? And it's just so disappointing that you're a black man saying this. It's just so disappointing. So yeah, as far as I'm concerned, he can just take several seats. Yeah, I mean, he accused her of doing this for political gain. And I'm not saying that she isn't doing it for political gain, because like everyone said, if this hasn't happened to her, would she have spoken about it? It's funny that she's speaking about this now. And if you look, you've only got to look at the statistics of the people that have been stopped during lockdown to see that black people get stopped and searched a lot more than any other race. I just think that he says stuff because he wants to have an opposing opinion, no matter what that opinion is, rather than go with the minority black people in his constituency he, he would rather go with the majority white people it's all very interesting to me i don't think that he needed to come out and say because it's contradictory isn't it i've been stopped i've been called the n-word i've been this that and the other but police aren't racist and it's like she came out on bbc and she said i didn't say all police were racist i said that there's systemic racism within the police community which is true there are bigger factors than just saying that every single police officer that stops somebody is racist. But there's a reason why they assume that if you're a black person driving a certain car, they're more likely to stop you than somebody else because they will assume that it's that inbred thing. They make the assumption. So therefore they stop you to see where it's going. I was going to say, because, you know, a couple of years ago, I saw a tweet that said where he was talking about the unfair, the disproportionate stop and search of young black boys. And that was his campaigning, you know, in defense of young <laughs> black boys. No freaking so way. It's just, yeah, it was, someone found a tweet and I wish I saw it. It was in my researching of it. I forgot to save it. I don't want to waste time looking for it now. But they found a tweet of 2018 when he was like, you know, the disproportionate stop and searches for black boys. So, and it wasn't that in, in that particular tweet, it wasn't that he was saying police are racist, but you talking about the disproportion of it affecting black boys. So what's your point? And it is that thing of saying to Dawn, countering Dawn, saying, you know, all police aren't racist. He's also making a grand statement that's ignoring the facts that, no, not every single individual policeman is racist. And you cannot also counter that by saying that every single police person is not racist. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. It's annoying. It's annoying. And though I've never been one to policing black behavior in front of our white counterparts or in front of the white folks, I don't like that. However, sometimes it's quite irritating seeing two supposedly sensible black people you can be on opposing poles but it just seems like you lot the, the nitpicking seems so childish and basic it's just like come with facts if you're going to counter what dawn's saying come with facts don't exactly. just make a grand statement saying police aren't racist shut the shut up there's no need 
to um, even say that. You can go into facts and pull things out, pull out statistics, make, just work with Dawn. At the end of the day, come on, it's just all a game, it's silly. So I think on two occasions, the BBC, unfortunately, two of their presenters used the N-word in their broadcast. And um, this caused absolute uproar, right? There was like 18,000 complaints, I think, in a matter of days. And people would felt a bit hard done by the thing because we've had all this controversy with Wiley being anti-Semitic. And now the N-word is being used, what seemed to be willy-nilly by BBC presenters. Those who are not from the UK, you know, the taxpayers pay for BBC, you have to pay a TV license, so we pay for it to be on air. So the programming that we see should be reflecting us as a society. We've just been shown how quickly and how effectively the powers that be can come down so hard on someone using a racial slur in any sort of context. And then this happened, and like the BBC decided they're not going to apologise. They decided to stand by their word and try to justify the use of the N word in their recording and to be honest like you know I'm getting on a bit you know <laughs> but I never in my life seen this type of thing I was just like what is happening I know 2020 is wild but seriously <laughs> is this where we are and I think there was like a tweet of like the editors or deputy editors whatever who decided that this was okay you know they're all white it didn't seem like any black person had been consulted before this decision is made it seems like and I'm saying seem like we'll do it and apologize later and that's actually what happened mm -hmm. so before we even get to that bit so Zizi Mills and his name is Sideman, but his real name is David Whiteley. He has blown up internet famous through his commentary on Love Island, amongst other things. Generally, non-problematic guy. Zizi and him have like a little show. It's called Cause We Can or something yeah, like that. Cause We Can. And where they just talk about topical things. And uh, this was one of the topics. And basically she put it out there like, we should not be accepting this at all. And that what needs to happen, BBC One Extra, which is majority of black presenters, they play more black music, they should all walk out and they should go on strike or they should, you know, do you know what I mean? They should quit from their jobs and everything like that. Because if we're taking a stand, then we need to take a proper stand, you know, and not allow these things to happen. And I think she was right. And so did Simon, basically. So he was like, I think within a matter of hours, he decided to quit. And I think more power to him. And he's just like a great example of what people should do in these things. And I know that some people are just like, you know, you shouldn't have to leave your job to make a stand. I do think that should be the case. But I do think like when you're fighting these things, you need to make such an impact. You need to make such a statement to make a difference for people to listen. And I believe he was probably in a position of privilege so he's able to continue with his career and or have other opportunities. So I think that this is going to work out fine for him. I wouldn't be surprised if the BBC came back to him and hired him in a couple of months or years, depending on how he felt about it. My question to you is, let me just add as well, Mr. Jam, who's also another presenter, he decided to put out a tweet saying that him being on the station is actually defying racism. And I wondered, how do you think 
this was handled. Do you think that apology came because of Sideman's actions? Do you think it was going to come anyway? Tony Hall, the director general, who actually issued the apology. But I think actually it was an internal thing. I'm not too sure. And it, I just wondered, is this what black people should be doing when these things occur? Or do you think this is just a one-off thing? It was just a coincidence that he quit and then the apology came. Do you think that this type of thing will happen again at the BBC? First question, I don't think the apology came because of Sideman. He was like the running thread for the press really taking this on. That's what caused the apology. So I guess in a way, yeah, he was a spark to this apology coming through. But I don't think it's specifically him. I think any presenter, any black presenter, could have seized this opportunity and we would have got an apology. Where I really admire Sideman is he really read the room. Mm. So when he's in that dialogue with Zizi, he was really listening to her. And I was watching his mind go over like, hmm, I see what she's saying. Mm. And he probably did sit down with his manager and speak this over. Now, I admire the opportunity being seized. He read the moment and he went with relevancy. Now, why I say this is, I think a lot of people, racism is our norm. But if you see certain opportunities, you can really propel what you're about. So I'm not saying he's callous in this, but I don't think it was a real stand against the BBC. He was probably ready to leave one extra anyway for how his brand was growing. And opportunities come around very infrequently where you can really propel yourself from 10,000 to 100,000. Literally, it's like he was in almost every newspaper and he sees that moment, still takes courage, but he went out on a limb and was like, I'm gonna seize my moment at this time to be a hero, a part of the hero's journey. And I admire that he put himself out there because it doesn't always work for everybody. But in this instance, if you read the room well, he seized an opportunity and ran with it. Any of them could have done that if they weren't scared. But the thing is, so many people are scared of losing a portion of their bread and butter. Mm. I really believe the BBC, as a presenter, should never be your main job because the BBC is institutionally racist. So you are always going to be at the bottom of the food pile. They will dash you at any moment. And I think all the black presenters need to really understand this. Any black worker there, you are never going to be in favour. They will cull you. They will do things that will aid your oppression as well. So for him taking the stand, it's a good moment, but I'm more clapping for him for being like, you know what, you jumped at the right time and you're going to be better for jumping now. But I'm not surprised at the BBC. If you wanted to use the N-word, why did you not use a black presenter? Really, the, the real question isn't even just the N-word, it's that you had a white presenter saying it as well. Like you could, mm. if you really wanted to show context, like this was such a highly strong, racially motivated attack, that you could have had a, a, a black reporter reporting this and then being able to use all the language. You know all of these things, but you chose not to do it. Again, the BBC does things and they use our pain when they want to use our pain to create story, to create headlines, to have press. They do all of this as well. So in the same way they did all of this, I admired Sideman for jumping on the, and using the same whip to actually whip up his notoriety to grow as well. I admire that he did that. And for all of the other black presenters, 
you probably are going to have to wait another five to ten years for this moment to come around again <laughs> to jump on this too. For the veterans that are in there, shame on you for not seizing this moment and letting a young Generation Z guy jump on this and propel himself. Like We need to start reading the room properly and using these moments to propel ourselves and not always just tweeting like, oh, this is bad and arguing amongst each other. Like, seize the moment and jump on this. Like Really learn some shit about branding, man. It's like, well done to Sideman for doing the right thing and using a, a moment to really propel himself. But no, nobody should be expecting too much from the BBC other than your paycheck to fund your other projects. As a former full-time BBC employee and a freelancer for the BBC, it's interesting that conversation has been going along around internally and there has been, a, it was raised because even I was like, everyone needs to quit. Everyone needs to walk out. Every black person, get your bag, get your, get your mic, get your stuff, get out of the building now, effective immediately, do a walkout. But there are realities post-COVID and during lockdown that people's jobs are precarious and in this situation and current climate, it's difficult and people are scared. I think it's easy for me because I'm a freelancer now, so I'm not bound. If they don't hire me again, so be it. But at this point, I know that maybe if it was my full-time job there, it might not have been as easy for me to say I'm going to walk out and potentially risk my job. And that is a problem that we're in when we're so dependent on an institution that's not for us. The thing that got me the most, no excuse for either of it, but the show, was it the show American History's Biggest Fibs, which was broadcast on the BBC on the 1st of August, and the presenter Lucy Worsley, when she was quoting, um, I think, John Wilkes Booth, something to do with it, it's a historical context show, and she was quoting someone in history that used the N-word. And it's the way she said it so blithely, so <laughs> casually, like she was making a joke. I was so surprised. I, there was no justification. There would never be justification. But the way she specifically said it, she was like, and this might be a bit thingy. And it's kind of like she was going to do a hop, skip and a jump when she said it. So when I watched that, I was like, what, the, what is going on here? And the fact that it was in the same week, and the fact that the BBC has said that the family were consulted. But again, working in the editorial position at the BBC as a journalist, you get family approval to talk about certain things but you ca they cannot dictate an editorial judgment and if the only thing you can do is like make sure they're happy for you to use their story but they're not going to dictate how the story goes and if it comes to the point where they're like well you can't say this that and the other or you can say this that and the other and it doesn't work for bbc standards and guidelines that show won't go as planned you'll change the segment especially for news stories it's not it's you know sometimes to the wire of course making shows but you change it, you can pull stuff if it doesn't work out. Do you know what I mean? So it's not, using the family, the excuse of the family as an editorial judgment is not correct, it's not fair, and it's not right. It's not something that we should, that anyone should do as a journalist. I also applaud Sideman. I think he did a good thing, definitely riding the wave, and I think it makes sense. Definitely, yes, I'm sure he's got other things in place where it was easier for him to walk away than it would be for some of the others. I'm also disappointed in some of the existing presented because I think there needs to there does need to be a show of solidarity because if we all walked out I say I still look I'm talking like BBC staff if everyone walked out there is visible people maybe throwing them on the line really they can't lose every single presenter so if all the presenters took a stand that's something that's interesting that could potentially have been the move to make and that's presenters maybe the people behind the scenes the that don't have the same wage or the same visibility or protection maybe they can do something else internally but and I know stuff conversations are happening internally. So yeah, just in, all in a nutshell, I think it's wrong. I think it's disgusting. There was no need for it. Lucy Walsley issued a Twitter apology saying, yes, I know. It was a shit apology. No accountability. You're, you as a white woman 
in this position could easily have said, I don't feel comfortable, I'm going to say the N word. What editorial, you didn't need to say, the, you didn't need to say the word, but she said it so casually and then issued a tweet, tweet, tweet apology and that's been it, nothing else. And that's the whole thing. So what we've always been saying and what you said, Sade, that we haven't got the power in place where it's absolutely ridiculously offensive and people are so fearful to use this word casually and we need, it needs to change, it needs to stop. I wonder whether like internally, because you know that some companies they have employee resource groups, I'm not going to make assumptions, so I'm just wondering whether they have that and like whether that also like includes the presenters because sometimes I think like with these kind of organizations, you can have it for the workers, but not necessarily for the presenters. But the presenters, uh, you know, because they're the people that are, their faces on the show, right? And they're the ones that have weight usually with the public as well. So I don't even think necessarily that Dynaman should have actually quit, but it would probably have been as effective if everybody just went on strike or put in a strike day because of X reason. And just like have that solidarity because what it is disappointing, I think sometimes when you just see one person almost being a sacrificial lamb. I do think he's gonna do fine. I'm not saying that. I don't, he's, a, he's not a martyr, <laughs> like in that sense. You know what I mean? But at the same time, it is a shame. It is a shame that he's had to gone to that extreme to at least from a public perspective for a difference to be made. Like even you know, I've worked with like some global big corporate companies so I know how difficult it can be but I think here the issue is with defense there's one thing when a company gets something wrong but then you know they apologize and then they kind of like put in actions or a plan to kind of say okay this is what we're going to do sometimes we know it's lip service but it was the actual defense of the act that's what makes it almost like a violence and a heinous thing because it's like you know what you're saying this in context of everything that's happened in the last couple of weeks and months and that is the how dare you moment to be honest like seriously it's just that I think is what forced some people to act or defend their position or having to defend their position or how they're going to respond to it and I do understand obviously like people are individual but I think that things like this they prey on that individuality do you know what I mean? For them to be able to get away with these things and also have like an inaction or a near to inaction. Because to be honest, how hard is it to write an apology? It's not hard. Yes, yeah. it, you know, it might make news. There wasn't a press conference as far as I'm aware. It was an internal message. How hard is that really? You've had 18,000 complaints. It's the second hardest oh, complaint it? that they've had since 2017. Dominic, yeah, the Dominic Cummings yeah. um, report or something like that. Oh, the disappointment is similar to when you've got racist things that happen on, in football and then one footballer they takes a stand and all the footballers still turn up on the pitch. I don't yeah. think we've yet to have black footballers unite and not play games. I don't think that's happened in the UK mm -hmm. just yet. So that's the level of disappointment it is when you don't see the solidarity. And yes, the individualism is preyed upon and... It just goes back to the fear. And ah, I hate that we're so fearful. I really hate that we're so fearful. I am a full-time BBC employee. I can't say too much because I don't want to lose my job. I'm not sideman and I have the ability to just say things with no repercussion. BBC pays my bills. My thoughts are it was obviously wrong for that to happen. And there's no excuse for it. For me, the apology should have come sooner. And I can say this with, as a BBC employee, it should have come sooner and a black woman 
And there needs to be an understanding that it's not acceptable to use racial slurs against black people, but then to come down so hard when people use racial slurs against other races. That's my issue. And in terms of people banding together and doing what Sideman did, I've had conversations about ways that we can move forward. I've been privy to those conversations amongst my own team and stuff like that. So it's not as though no one's doing anything. I just think that, like Auntie Nana said, it might be a case of they all band together and, and show solidarity. There's different ways that you can do the movement. You don't have to down tools and do the movement. There's petitions that you can write and that you can send off to the right people and then you can state your cases because these things have to be heard within the workforce. And I know that June Sarpon has been criticised <laughs> um, for some of the things that she said, but I do also know that they are working on stuff. It's just not always going to be done immediately. And I think that what this has done is highlighted the fact that they're not perfect and they've got a long, 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 long way to go. Really, this is a great opportunity for real change to take place because yeah. again, it's like the world's eyes are watching this act of defiance and then an apology. And for all of the employees and ex-employees at the BBC that probably have various levels of racial stereotyping that goes on, racial discrimination that would be taking place within the organization. I think now is the time, like Me Too and Time's Up, to actually hold the BBC account for various different levels of how they keep this level of fear going amongst their staff. What Just how freelancers are, are treated, having to reapply for jobs, like having systems of employment in place where actually nobody feels secure when public money is funding your organization to me is wrong. It's just like, those are fundamental things that should not be allowed in organizations that are being funded publicly. We don't have a choice in this. If I have a TV, I basically need to pay for the BBC. So then I have to have a voice in how you also run your organization. I'm not even putting it all on the um, presenters or all on the staff, but if, there's some type of public display and groundswell of changing where we all come together to be like, no, we need better from this organization. I think now is the moment for this train to be jumped on and for all of us to be like, let's really have some proper change take place with this organization. There are things happening because during lockdown, a lot of things have been highlighted, which is why, again, you've got June Sarpong coming out and making some statements and shifting some of the ways that there are thought processes and they are expecting more people from BAME um, backgrounds to get involved and to push this diversity thing. So there are things happening. I'm not saying it's perfect, but like every organization, shit has to happen for it to be addressed and people have to talk. And I think that is happening. And this is, this is another thing that's highlighted that there's so much more work to do. Next story is Rita Ora getting dragged on Twitter. <laughs> now, I don't know where it came from. Because to me, when Rita Ora came out in, what was it, like 2010? Like she's mm -hmm. been about for a minute. She's been about for a while, yeah. She's been about for a minute. I remember thinking she's mixed race. And really? then time oh. it coming out that no she's Kosovan Albanian and being like raw this girl is just using her ambiguous looks and her proximity to black people to jump on this frame back 
bandwagon them and she isn't that talented. <laughs> I remember this being spoken oh. about at the time, but for some reason it's resurfaced and again, Generation Z are going in like we thought she was mixed. And I don't know what's up with these kids. Like they're just slow or late or like really just go on her wiki. It says that she's Kosovan Albanian there. Like before that wasn't there, but yeah, it's there. So she is getting it and everybody's saying that she's blackfishing. So again, it's like she was outed before blackfishing was a term. To me, it feels like people turning around and being like, what, the Kardashians don't have a black dad? Like, how did you not know? <laughs> like, people, people jump on this and they get famous. I guess maybe she came after Pink. So we had already had that opening where everybody thought that Pink was mixed race when she first came out. Don't tell me you don't remember when Pink first came out and she had pink hair, very tanned. It was like she could be mixed. And then I she didn't went think she was mixed. No. I thought oh, she'd done black music and then she switched. Yes. Pink jumped on it too, being racially ambiguous for a time, but that was styling. That wasn't her. Rita Ora is a different kettle of fish because I think she purposefully has maintained a very olive to light brownish tone for somebody that is Albanian and Kosovan. Like, yeah, she looks like she has black in her. She definitely does. So she's being dragged. The thing for you guys to discuss is, is this latest piece of dragging fair in the context of this has been exposed for like 10 years now? Is it fair that Rita Ora is now being redragged by the internet? Now, for anyone that knows me, knows that I am not a Rita Ora fan at all. But this is old news, man. This is so old. I remember when she was in the Drake video before she even released a song. And this is off of Drake's first album. She was in his video for Over or something like that. And I was like, who's this girl? And then my cousin was like, she's from Grove. I was like, she's from Grove? Let me see who this girl is. And then I Googled her or I don't know what I did in the day. But <laughs> she wasn't like, she wasn't black. I must say that when I first saw her, I thought, is she like got a little something, something going on? But this is old news. And she came out in 2016 when she was on Wendy, the Wendy Williams show. And she said, I'm not black. I'm from such and such. And in any interview you hear her, she does talk about her parents and, and how they came over and they were, you know, um, immigrants and all of this stuff. So she does talk about it. But I suppose there's a little bit of you could say it's cultural appropriation or it could just be where she grew up. That's the people that she rolled with. So that's why she looks how she looks. Not, I'm not talking about the tanning of her skin. But I'm talking about, you know, hairstyles and stuff like that that she's had. For me, people are just late and they just need to get to grips with the thing. Like, I feel like my auntie, you know, like when you were growing up and you'd say something and your auntie would be, that's old, man, that's old news, you look so late. <laughs> I feel like that. It's like that. <laughs> so I remember seeing Rita Ora many, many years ago. The first time I saw her was at Wireless, right? So this is years ago. I'm thinking, oh, she's Ariana, but she's white. That was my thing. Okay. Like, I knew that she was, but I thought that, she was being molded because wasn't she signed to rock, I was just, rock, rock. nation, yeah. right? Do you know what I mean? So I was really interested in music anyway. So I knew that she was coming or whatever kind of thing. But I think even in the bio, whatever that I read, it said that she was Kosovan. Do you know what I mean? Like, so that's always been a thing. And like, I honestly, she had a track, I think on her first album where the video was based there in Kosovo or Albania, one of the two. So like, 
I knew that was ingrained in me that she was cousin, like she she was not black, like. And I I remember saying to people like, yeah, yeah, she's not black. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> um, but like, it's hard to say whether it's fair because that's a very difficult question because from her perspective, there's only so much she can do in terms of like you know, making sure it's on Wiki. Does she need to put it in her Instagram bio? Like, is it that deep? Like, do you know what I mean? There's only so much she can do if she's asked about it and she answers honestly. To be honest, before I saw those pictures that were on social the other day, I wouldn't have said that she was actively blackfishing at all because I think that at the time, it was more of like an aesthetic. You know, we're in the UK, white people tan, that's what they do. They might not understand the psychology behind why they're doing what they're doing, but that is like a cultural norm. It's just like, you know, white people dyeing their hair blonde. There's almost zero natural blondes. They don't exist. Yeah. They're, they're from a bottle. Do you know what I mean? Like kind of thing. <laughs> to break the news. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like it's like a societal, cultural thing. So I just wouldn't say like her tanning is trying to be, if she's tanning, like it's trying to be brown or, do you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily that. So, no, to a certain extent, I don't think it's fair because people should ne- should do their research. However, when I saw those pictures of, like, you're rocking an afro, though, yeah. <laughs> and you're rocking, like, black, like, bruv, like, you're, you're moving in that ambiguous circle, like, you are, and, like, it might have been beneficial for her to do so. Like, do you know what I mean? Like from a, um, you know, a marketing standpoint, no disrespect to the girl as an individual, but like, bruv, even now I'm just like, what do you do now? Are you, <laughs> is, this, is this why people have kept you relevant because they think that you're black? <laughs> and if that is the case, if you've been upheld by portions of the black community because they think you're black, then yeah, yeah, it's not fair. Then it's not fair, <laughs> do you know what I mean? But like, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm playing. I don't, think that that's, I don't think that's the case at all. I'm not a massive fan, but she can sing well live um, mm, for what she does. Mm, mm. No, she can. She can. I've she can he- I've sing heard, I've, of her faves. I've been privileged to, or I've, I've been in a studio when she's been, she's come to television shows and I've been in the studio when yeah. she's practiced and when she's, uh, and yeah. I mean, I've seen her live and she's, yeah, she's all right. I She's all right. Yeah, like, you know like, what I mean? There's other, there's many other people who, you know, don't, uh, <laughs> I don't want to say, say it, but they can't sing, they can't sing as well as her. Yeah, like, yeah. Although I want them to, they cannot. Do you know what I mean? Does she deserve it? I don't know. I don't think it's fair. I don't know. I don't know if it's fair. Jury's out for me. Sorry, that was a long way to say, I don't know. Personally, not a fan. Or don't, not even not a fan. I don't, she doesn't register in my world at all. When I first heard about her, it was very obvious to me. I, don't, I think there's this, okay, Gen Z, guys, you're going to have to answer this for me. Because I feel like because we're in this state of ambiguity and how the races are blending and everyone's becoming like multicultural and everything's fine and black culture is the top culture that defines everything that we do right now, white, whatever race you're from and this need to kind of look ambiguous because they know there's a privilege behind it. I don't know also if then the audience watching Rita Ora really wanted to excuse how much they liked her. So in that really squinted their eyes and saw mixed race and now they're feeling some type of way. They're like, they have to cuss her because they feel shame. You know, when you feel shame when you project. So I feel like this is projection shaming because you guys, I don't know why you didn't open your eyes. And as everyone says, Google research, look, it's not hard. And to me, Rita Ora does not look mixed race and I'm getting a lot of this I'm seeing a lot of this conversation where because I think maybe growing up in our generation as well maybe it's an old auntie thing 
there was very clear def definitions of who was mixed race. In majority, you kind of knew who was mixed race and who was black and who was white and all that type of stuff. There wasn't, in my time, or I didn't really see ambiguity that where it was so confusing that you couldn't tell who was who. But I feel like in this recent generation, it's like, everyone's kind of like, okay, they're a bit tan, they must be mixed race. It's not, I mean, there's lots of things that go into this thing, yeah? It's, it's not skin tone and it's not because you've got cameras. There's a lot of black, <laughs> black yeah. fishing going on. So I don't understand all this. There, there's a safe privilege where you can be ambiguous. I don't know. I don't understand why there's a, there's a laziness to this thing. And I also think it's a projection because you, people want to feel comfortable saying, oh, well, they're mixed race and so they're not white, so I can like them and I can uphold their standards of beauty. So there's all of that. Um, Rita... I think she's definitely capitalised on it. I think, yes, partly she grew up in the end. And if you grew up in Grove, there's a very multicultural melting pot. So it is hard to separate yourself from the culture. And so I can understand her reflecting that. However, I definitely think what getting signed to rock and then being elevated in that space, being in Drake's video, I think Rita definitely capitalised on the fact that she could navigate this space. So she definitely probably put those cameras in and wore that afro, <laughs> did an extra tanning just to make it like, yeah, because people kind of think that I'm this and I'm whatever that is, that ethnic amb ambiguity is a now a uh, thing to be. People don't mind, like the Kardashians are trading off it. Other white celebrities are trading off it. And so, you know, even J-Lo kind of toes the line, even though she's, the beginning. yeah, she kind of did that thing as well. Like she kind of played with it. So, you know, I think it's fair because every new gen every generation discovers new things. So the generations here are like, oh, Rita, you're blurt fishing. There's a little bit of fair dragging because I think it accounts for all the times she hasn't been dragged before. So this like, they'll get a little bit of a snack, snack on the butt. However, Gen Z, come on, just Google, stop it. Stop trying to pretend that you lot didn't know. You, what you did know, you just wanted to pretend that you fancied Rita or you liked to eat Rita or you aspired to look like Rita and you've closed your eyes and thought, yeah, she's mixed race, so it's okay. Shut up. Go on, to, to highlight the levels of 2020 <laughs> that keeps on coming for celebrities i just it, it feels like you know like a year of karma because yeah. there are certain things that rita should be getting dragged for and she isn't but i guess in karma you don't know how it's gonna <laughs> come and get you in it it just gets you somehow so this is probably a she probably knows and so does rob kardashian probably knows oh, why yeah. she's having this moment where it's not being highlighted, <laughs> but she's still being cussed. Like, everybody needs to have their cussing. So if it ever comes my way, I just want to apologise wholeheartedly. I didn't mean to do what I did. Um, <laughs> it's not going to happen. Um, 2020, spare me, forgive me, and everybody else, like, uh, I'm changed. Is there no comments? Miss G. Letang says... Then she deserves a dragon. A dragon. Sorry, she's <laughs> laughing, but I don't know what point it was uh, for. But yeah, people think she deserves it. I've gone easy on Rita Aura today because I usually don't go easy on her, but I'm trying to be nice. I'm trying to be a better person. Like Nana said, <laughs> karma's a mofo. In it, 2020 will come for you, boy. man, 2020. Hey, I'm Auntie Nana. You're listening to Your Aunties Could Never. Now it's time for aunties to fix your life with aunties know best hello aunties i've always been a larger lady but a curvaceous one i think mm. i'm pretty healthy i don't eat junk and for the most part i've been happy with my size and shape however since covid well since lockdown has decreased i'm starting to feel less comfortable my friends have been telling me that i should think about losing weight because i'm more at risk to be honest their comments are getting to me more than the risk of catching covid 
It also seems now that everywhere I look and everywhere I turn, there are adverts telling people to lose weight or risk not being able to get over COVID. It's making me more and more uncomfortable going out. I'm not one for the gym. And as I said, I'm happy for the most part, but I don't want to constantly feel like I'm being judged. Do you have any advice for me, Diane? You know what I've noticed actually in recent times, like this COVID has really enabled people to really be judgmental and chat shit about other people's lives like it's like you want a police who's wearing a mask who isn't wearing a mask who's leaving their house who isn't leaving their house it's like it's really got into people's minds that they can start chatting on other people's bodies and what they do with it if she if if you want to lose weight lose weight tone up really your main focus just needs to be on your immunity and to have your immunity be strong, that's also that your your mental health is in the right place. So you may need to mute a few of your friends, like put them on the back burner for a little while, tell them about themselves and give them cool off. It's not on. Everybody wants to start chatting where people should be. Just think about your immunity, take some zinc, have some vitamin C, make sure you're topping up on your vitamin D and look after yourself. But don't, don't be listening to folks talking about your body. So this has kind of come out of, of what Boris has been saying about if you're overweight, you're more at risk of not surviving. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? If you get COVID, then you're more unlikely to survive, basically. So I can get why friends might be concerned. Do you know what I mean? If, if the person is overweight, and maybe it's not coming from a negative place. Do you know what I mean? Like they're just trying to help in that sense. I don't necessarily size and weight and fat and all that kind of thing usually are linked not all the time but usually they're they're linked i don't know man i think anything that can potentially prolong your life is a good thing do you know what i mean so i think that you know you should try if you fit into that bracket obviously get a professional's opinion do you know what i mean so you need to talk to your gp not just listen to your friends because they might they might be gaffing anyway and see if you are actually at risk if you do fall at risk, then your GP is probably the best person to help you in terms of like, if there's anything that you need to do, because there might not be, it might just be about taking a few supplements or whatever, or you might need to reduce your fat intake or whatever kind of thing. So yeah, it just kind of depends. But I will say like, I don't know how old you are, but as you come into later on in life, then, you know, being healthier does help prolong your life. That, that's just a fact. So it's, um, it's all good. And it's not always just what you feel. Sometimes you have to look a little bit deeper. There's an element of people feeling like they're all experts on how everyone should behave in this time and how they should react. But there's also, if they are good friends, I think you have to weigh, manage your emotions and see where it's coming from. And it depends on is every conversation you lot are having, then your weight comes up. That's a problem because it should be like, why the hell are you the focus of the conversation all the time? But then also there is an element of like really taking stock of what they're saying and are you really being healthy are you looking out for yourself in the best way that you can be because it is difficult to be healthy even when you're not a bigger size just generally eating healthy the world doesn't this country doesn't make it easy for you to eat healthy so i think it's manage your emotions a bit but also i think you have a right to say to your friends look guys ease off me do you know what i mean and this i just just wanted to throw in that they're they're also talking about trying to weigh kids before they go back to school or weigh kids in school so there's, there's this whole thing about weight and it's a catch-22 because you, generally you just can't trust the government. Anything they say, you just have to take with a pinch of salt. But just in that conversation, the fact that weight and health is a thing to, you know, you want to be as healthy as possible to not be a, a target for this thing. And 
not everyone has the resources. And when you're talking about children who maybe come, come from a home that doesn't have healthy eating as a staple, there's something about going into school and having them monitor it and help doing that. So it's a bit of a tangent, I just wanted to say that, but I suppose it's just considering your health and weight and all that type of stuff and then doing the best for yourself. You have to look into your health in general anyway, especially with this disease going around, you do have to try and be healthier. But that doesn't mean that you need to be skinny. That just means that you need to control what you're eating. You said you eat healthy, so just maybe keep eating healthy, take supplements like Auntie Nana said, try to do a little bit of exercise. I know you said you're not a gym person, but you might, you know, even if you just go for walks or, you know, uh, there's lots of things that you can do at home now. I'm, I'm a great one for the online exercise stuff you can get on YouTube and things like that. So there's stuff that you can do in your own space. Try not to feel like you can't be out because everyone's watching you because I doubt that they are. I think you're probably focusing more on this now because your friends have had this conversation with you and you may feel away yourself. So but with that said it doesn't mean that if your friends are of a skinnier set that then they're, they're healthier than you because you don't know what's going on on the inside your stuff's just external they could have like a whole load of problems that they're not even aware of happening on the inside so everybody needs to take stock of yeah. what they're doing now and what you're putting into your body and and all of that that's my advice for you just maybe go for some walks try to eat a little bit healthier take some supplements and tell your friends do you know what i want for yourself Miss uh, G Latang is saying exactly what I was just going to say. The government, she says, the government says, watch your weight, but also here's 40% of your restaurant bill. <laughs> right. Do you know that's what right. I mean? Like, that's so right. So it's right. just like, it's just so confusing. <laughs> and I do think that um, also like weighing kids, like I, I just think that's just nonsense, absolute nonsense. Could you imagine being at school and being weighed? For, you're trusting them to get it right. And then also your weight doesn't necessarily mean um, it's not just uh, fat content, is it? Do you know what I mean? Like, there's so much that goes into it to knowing if there's uh, anything you, you should do. Yeah, well, you could be. You could just have more muscle mass. It's children. It's other yes, children exactly. watching you get onto the scales and yeah. being like, oh my God, Darren broke the scales. And like, yeah. Really, is that necessary? You can get teased for no reason whatsoever, being a child yeah. anyway. But you're going to add this into the school playground jargons. Like, yeah. no. Dear aunties, love the show. Um, I've been dating this girl for a while and everything was going well until I found out that she's been dating, she's only been dating me to get with my best friend, who's a guy. It really upset me um, and it turned out he thought, he, she'd done this because he thought that um, it was hot to see girls kiss girls and now they're actually together and I feel a bit used. What do I do? How can I get over this? How do I stop this happening again? Oh, I'm so sorry. That's hurtful. That's so hurtful. That's as hurtful right. as in the straight space where guys will target the ugly girl, the one that they call ugly, to get to the pretty one. I, it's just horrible to be used as, a, as, a, as a, a vessel to someone else. I mean, it's a heartbreak and the usual breakup. Like, give yourself time to grieve, get over it. And I don't know in this space because I'm not a lesbian, so I don't know how... I would navigate this world knowing who's completely gay, who's bi, who's trying, to, who's trying things out. So maybe the same I would say to, say to someone straight, like you've got to ask more questions and you've got to be more 
um, intrusive into what's going on because I know I, in, in speaking to other um, gay friends that there is an element of curiosity, especially for the straight space where guys and girls want to experiment, but they don't take into consideration the people who are actually gay or lesbian and taking into account their emotions. And they feel like it's okay to just dibble dabble just for either for the pleasure of somebody else or to satisfy their emotions, knowing that they don't really want to, they just want to curious, they feel like they can safely go in there, have a try and then come back to their regular lifestyle. So I, I would only say, live, give yourself time to grieve, it's a heartbreak, you will bounce back, you will find somebody else, and maybe going into other relationships, if that person isn't completely, clearly a lesbian, or bi, or whatever realm that you date in, then you need to ask more questions, because that's horrible, I'm really sorry for that's happened to you. Did you say that the guy was her best friend? It's so bad, like there's so many levels of bad here, the girl is a user, the, not the girl who's written in, but obviously the girl who's trying to get to your, your best friend is a user. But you do need to also analyse your relationship with that guy because he's clearly not your friend. What is he doing? Using you for like, um, what is it when you, when you go out and you've got a, a person that helps you? What is it? They, oh, that's wingman. It. Yeah. That's it. What's he doing? Using you as a wingman. It's just, it's not right. I think you just need to cut your losses as far, confront him and see what he has to say. And if he's not apologetic, which he absolutely has to be because you were with this girl, then, you know, you need to cut your losses because he's not a friend. You don't do that to a friend and just be so blatantly um, in your face about it as well. It's not right. Whether you're gay, straight or whatever, mm. like you just don't do that to someone who's supposed to be your friend. And that girl, karma's going to come for her clot. I'm not even sure about the confronting. I just feel like a lock off is um, yeah. in order. And I'm not usually a, a lock off person out of all of us, but <laughs> yeah, I do feel in this instance, move on, man. That person needs to go. They don't need access to you at all. Yeah, he was sly to know that his best friend's a lesbian and know that he's going to use that. That means he was never your friend, man. That's mm, it. Yeah. So it's another internet dilemma. So you've been talking to this guy for a little while and you're excited to have your first link up with him and you already like the person you already are like i like this guy so you have your first link up with him um it's a lovely date he comes back to your place and you're kind of getting hot and bothered with each other you're kissing touching and then he gets out his peen and it's only three inches when it's erect now you already like this dude you're committed to see <laughs> if anything can happen. So you do the do the first time, but you feel nothing. Not even like a finger, you feel nothing. It's like some, it's like jeans rubbing against you. That, that was, that was <laughs> the pleasure that you managed to get out of it. But you like him. He has everything. He's got a lovely personality. He's financially secure. He's got a good job. His credit is dipping 999, but he has a three inch peen when it's erect. Do you carry on or do you say bye? Oh, this is so loaded because there is one side of me that's saying from he got his tings out and I saw what I saw, I'd be like, oh, do you know what? I don't feel too well, you know? I think I'm coming down with something. Uh, uh, yeah, I think, I think I'm gonna go home. I, th I feel like one side of me would do that. But then you threw in all of the, he ticks this box, that box, that box, that box, that box. It's definitely for someone you just seen and like they got the things out and it was like that. He would have to be so amazing with his tongue. He'd have to get me to the point of climax with his tongue so that when I got on top of his eeny weeny teeny weeny, it was, you know, 
I don't know, man. I've never had that experience. I've been fortunate. So, chats, man. I don't know. I, I don't know. I'd like to say I'd be mature about it, but I feel like I'd be like, bruv, I don't feel well. I'm going home. And then he just wouldn't hear from me. I really feel like that's what I would do. And that's not good advice, but that's what I feel like I would do. Because why am I going to pretend? You can't do certain positions. Is it in? I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm, Nobody wants that. <laughs> I mean, there's levels. There's a lot of stuff to this. Um, first and foremost, it's interesting for guys. It'll be great if there's any guys watching. I mean, obviously, you're not going to admit if you've got a teeny penis. <laughs> but if you know, like, what's the man code? Because I, I feel like there's an element of, you know what you're packing. So... I know it must be so much easier for me to say that you could declare, like, look, I'm challenging that area. However, ABCs. I know that's a real super grown-up, mature, difficult conversation to have with someone that you have that you're falling. But you're with. saying in the combo stage. You actually- I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that would be an ideal <laughs> scenario. But we know that's impossible. Just probably humans don't, don't aren't that responsible. So you get to that moment. So there has to be an element where he is going to expect it. He's going to be like okay, okay, it's going to go this way or that way. Either way, let's just see what happens. You shouldn't be surprised if either the woman is like, I'm out of here, or, hmm, okay, and keep it moving. So I, I don't want to put my business in the streets. I have <laughs> come across a small peen in my life. Mm. I know one situation, the guy was lovely, we made it work, and then we didn't work out, but then that was just life. I, and it, well, it wasn't three inches, I must say, but it was, okay. And then another guy... I was like, he was wonderful, or so I thought. Everything was great, so I thought. And then we got to that situation and I was like, oh my gosh. And it was exactly that. The guy seemed so beautiful, perfect. And then I kind of said, okay, so maybe this is my lot in life that the final guy that I'm gonna be with for the rest of my life, this is gonna be the situation and we're gonna have problems in this area, but everything else was wonderful. So then I was kind of reconciling, having a thought of myself and then Second time around, things were normal. But then when I found out that he was a big fucking fat cheater, I realized that the first time we were doing it, he was so scared, his willy had backed up because he was scared. (laughs) He was scared of what he was about to do. Basically, because he was cheating, and this was the first time of him, well, stepping out with me, he had a um, scared penis. Basically- Sorry, what? (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. His penis was scared. (laughs) Because I think he was nervous about going into the act himself because he knew that he was cheating on his situation because the next time we got together everything was it fine it was normal size yes and then when i found out he was had been cheat he was a cheater i realized that that day when i was thinking with god okay maybe god you sent me a good guy but we're gonna have to have bedroom conversations and work this out it was because he was a cheater and he had um, willy fear willy fear or whatever so all that to say... A small willy is still a red flag. Small willy is still a red flag, and I just think it's about... It's just what you can handle. If sex is important to you, and you know you can't go forward without, like... The tongue might not just do it. You need, might need penetration. And if you need a good old penetrationing, penetrationing, it's not going to work for you. But if, it's, if having a man... And again, it's all that weight of pressure of being in a relationship that the society has on women. You've got to be in a relationship to be a complete woman. So she might be compromising something that she really needs. Like women are allowed to want sex as, you know, as the WAP has been showing that people can't yes. take that, that we need sex too. We want good sex. We want to enjoy it. And it shouldn't be something that we have to compromise on. So 
you really have to think about what is more important. And it doesn't, and if your sex isn't important to you in that way, and you can work all the oral stuff and all the foreplay, go ahead. But if you need, <clears throat> then you're going to have to say bye. So I know people are probably going to come up with this all penises man kind of thing. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not on that <laughs> at all. To be honest, like, I think like Auntie Farah, I'd just be out of there. Like, there's no way. That second part of the story where you're like, you're on top, then no, I'm not getting on top. That's, 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 not, that's not happening. I really believe in big dick energy. I haven't come across this issue because I think I attract big dick energy. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So what would I do? Boy. I would be his best friend ever. That's oh. what I'd be. I would help him find a nice, mature, young lady or, you know, do you know what I mean? That he can settle down with. He just doesn't care about those kind of things. I'll be honest, that's not me. The only, only way I could potentially consider it is if I was mad old. <laughs> I'd have to be proper old. Like, like there's, no, there's nothing. There's nothing there. It's crust. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, there's just nothing. There's no, like, kids, everything's done. Everything's done. So this is just my portion, and we can be companions. <laughs> right. I'm with you, with the big dick energy. But also, there is somebody out there for everybody. Not all yes. like big dicks. Some of them like small dicks. I would encourage him to find a woman who wants a small dick. But that's mm -hmm. not me. And age ain't got nothing to do with it. I would like to think that when I'm 80, 90, maybe not 90. <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe when I'm 80, I'd still be taking it. With your good hips, yeah? With my good hips. With my new hips. <laughs> on my dinner frame. I would like to think I could still take it. Uh, Miss Latang, who is our number one fan today. Yo, chef. Um, <laughs> said you can carry on about your business sorry <laughs> and uh zell sugar said oh my god poor guy sorry quickly. she said sorry not sorry just very mm -hmm. quickly my niece sent me this um video and it was of this uh it was in somewhere in latin america and there was this stripper doing a pole dance and she pulled the guy up and the guy was feeling that he was kissing her he was doing all types of things and then she pulled down his pants and she literally laughed at him <laughs> and, and like skirted backwards and was like to him no, 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 because he had an eeny, weeny, teeny, weeny. But my thing is like, bruv, you know, these guys, you know what you're packing. Stop giving big dick energy when you ain't got, you ain't got it. I kind of feel for them in a way because yeah, like, no one wants them in it. Like, do you know what <laughs> no, I mean? No, 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 no someone will. Someone no, will. No, someone I will. Think, I think they settle. I don't think they no, want, that's not what they will. want. No, but someone, someone will be some out women, there and say, that's the size I want. No more Some than women when you talk to them about big dicks they're like that's scary oh yeah, but then they probably want a medium size they don't want a small one no but some women again there's some women whose sex isn't the be one end all and actually foreplay touching and those type of things yes for them they're, i mean if you think about the amount of women in the on the in the world there's not everyone i mean there's i get it i know it's very unbelievable however there are there has there i mean i, I actually say there has to be because yeah. It's proportionally. And also, some people don't want to do different positions to where it's going to be a problem. Some people, <laughs> like Auntie, like Auntie, like Auntie AK said, if foreplay is their A all and B all, <laughs> but they might just be happy with a little poke at the end. Get me? A little poke, that's all you need. None of this okay. spin around on it, because you can't spin on them things there. There's nothing to spin on. Nicola Millington said, scared peen, Auntie AK. 
you are too much, damn right. Acting <laughs> like it's a frigging turtle. But anyway, <laughs> and then did. Sugar, did. I know. Yeah. Del Sugar said, is, it, is the same true for men, are we women with small breasts then? And I don't Ooh. think so. Some guys like big boobs, some guys don't like big boobs. But, but the thing is, no, 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 go you on. Can see it from the That's what I was going to say. That's yeah. The difference yeah. with breasts. You know, oh, what yes. You're so for a small yes. penis, I think it needs to come with a disclaimer. Yeah. <laughs> you should say in the conversation part, like, oh, what do you want in the next five years? And I feel in those types of establishing conversations, you need to say, I'm not average. Like my, my penis is smaller than average. Oh, what do you mean it's smaller than average? Well, it's actually free. In- like, I feel like you should state in, a, in an ideal in world. The other side, if you have an extra lower, I feel like you should say, I'm not average. My penis is, is 14 inches. Right. Somebody else is going to be like, I don't want that. And then they're not invested in you. And then you can move on to a girl that wants 14 inches. That like, wants a kidney to shift. That was Auntie's No Best. If you have a dilemma, please send them to dilemmas.yourauntiescouldnever at gmail.com. Hey, I'm Auntie Farah and you're listening to Your Aunties Could Never. And now we're about to take you guys back with Black in the Day. Okay. Okay, so Black in the Day. <laughs> My Black in the Day, quick and easy. Who was your favourite teacher in, across your school life and who was your worst teacher across your school life? If we're talking primary school... My favourite teacher in primary school, oh, I had two. There was one called Miss Storwick when I was in nursery and there was one called Miss Lopez who was a Jamaican teacher and she, because she was a black woman, she was bad gal. She was wicked. And then she went to Jamaica and me and her were pen pals afterwards. And yeah, I know. Um, I didn't have a non-favourite teacher in primary school. In secondary school, Miss Latman, Miss Latman was a racist cow. Yeah. She was my Italian teacher. And when we started Italian, I was so excited because I was like, oh my God, I don't want to do French. I want to do Italian. I want to speak Italiano. So she put all the black people on one side and all the non-black people on the other side. What? Fact. And she taught the non-black side. No. So the few of us that were black in the class were like, Miss Lutman, hi, Miss Lutman, I want to learn Italian. Hi, can I, can, hi, I'd like to acknowledge us. So she would not teach us. And then we, as you do, if you're not being taught properly, you become disruptive. So yeah. we became disruptive in the class. I remember one time we were singing, um, do you know En Vogue's song? Um, Free our man. Yeah. We, started sing- yeah. we started singing that in the class. She hated me so much. She, put, she moved me from the black side to her desk. And then she wrote a letter to my mum saying that she hadn't seen me for six weeks because I've been funking. These times now, I'm on her desk. And my mum used to give licks for free. So you can imagine what would happen with that sort of thing. But I was quite lucky. My mum kind of be- believed me on that occasion and wasn't having none of it. But Miss Lutman was a bitch. Shout out to you, Miss Lutman. Because of her, I got an X in Italian. Because the only wow. thing... Wow. An X. Because when I took the, less, the exam, I was only able to write my name on the paper because I hadn't learned shit. I can oh. ask for a bus ticket, a cup of coffee, and I can say I don't... <laughs> <laughs> well, three things that I can say after two years of Italiano. My favourite teacher was Mr. Scantlebury. I think he probably had the most impact on me in Grey Coats. And he wasn't there for long. He came from Barbados. And we didn't have too many black teachers in the school. And I remember him coming and we weren't bad, but 
great housing really had bad kids really when I was there like most people were upper working class and middle class anyway so you're not really really that bad you're a bit mouthy and for the black girls we were slightly mouthy and he pulled us one lunchtime like all of the black girls in my year and just gave us a talking to and was just like you know you guys are so intelligent he gave the black talk and he was the first teacher that I'd ever had give the black talk like you know you need to work twice as hard and he just looked out for us so I'd say he wasn't there for long maybe two terms but he as a black male teacher had a real impact on my life and I think a teachers that like, he had a, an impact and my drama teacher Miss Cunningham in Grey Coats as well because she just believed in me like I, I could do anything and should be like oh my god you're gonna be a wonderful actress like she just poured so much praise and love into every play that I did she was probably my my fave teacher she she again built up my confidence like my family as a dark-skinned girl I didn't know I was dark until later on in primary school because well, I guess everybody in my family is dark skin, so you're just kind of praised so much. I didn't know about shades. It was like black was black until mm. going into primary school. And then it was a bit like, oh, I'm dark. Like, I had no clue. So I always think, like, my family built me up so much that nothing really fazed me. When people would say things, it, being called Nana, obviously it's going to rhyme with banana. And so black banana was always there. I didn't really get it <laughs> for so long that it was a cuss because I had just been built up and Miss Cunningham kind of carried that on. Like, you could be massive. I can't think who the actress was, but she'd always be like, you could be as big as her and you could, you could do this and you could be starring in Hollywood. You could win an Oscar. So for my NRA folder, that's what I wrote in there was like, I, I want to be the first black female director. I want to be the best black actress. I'm going to be the first person to win an Oscar. And it was really from this teacher really heaped so much into me. So those two. Worst was my science teacher, Miss Perryman, not for anything other than she was a lazy fucker. And I had double science. So it's almost two hours of a class, eating food, and she'll just write the experiment on the board and start eating. And you have to figure it out. It should be like all the instructions are in the book. And that was my science class. So Miss Perryman, just for being so lazy, and even with your laziness, I still got two Ds from learning by myself. But I probably could have been like, no, I wouldn't say A, I wasn't really an A student. But BC, if she put some work in into our double science classes. So she was my worst. But generally, school life for me at Greycoat Hospital was all right. They were some real racist fuckers in there. But generally, I survived the school system. It was okay. I was a complicated student, I'll say that, first of all, <laughs> do you know what I mean? In the sense that I didn't have to try that much to get good grades, but because I was in a difficult household, I didn't apply myself, right? Do you know what I mean? So that was very frustrating for some teachers, and some teachers, they just didn't, they just didn't care so, so much. I remember in secondary school, I didn't like Miss Babarindi, and I didn't like her because she was Nigerian, and she wouldn't say her name properly. And it really, really got on my nerves. And I just thought, there's something wrong with you. I didn't think the word sell out. I don't think I knew that at that time. But I just thinking you're changing yourself because you're here. And I didn't like that. I really didn't like that. And I know that I pronounced my name Shade. I do know that. But that's for other reasons. But anyway, <laughs> do you know what I mean? But, um, 
but yeah I just did I really didn't like that about her and also I think at that point I had help in the classroom because I was dyslexic but I don't think they communicated well to my parents so my dad was just like we've taught you English your whole life and now you can't speak English and this is an English class that kind of thing like why are you getting support in English so I just hated that whole everything and I hate that she made that happen and I, I just I just hated her and then there was Miss I can't remember her name properly I want to say it sounded like Stroganoff <laughs> but she she was my um and actually you know bun her anyway because she was my 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 PE teacher and she used to get me and this other black girl in my class confused the whole time so oh. she'll be looking at me calling me I won't say the girl's name but calling me that girl's name repeatedly and I'm just looking at her like that's not my fucking name do you know <laughs> what I mean like seriously through the whole time do you know what I mean it used to do my head in because to be fair the girl weren't really rated in the class do you know what I mean not to say that I was rated to either do you know what I mean but you didn't want to be you, you know you're, you're your own person at the same time kind of thing so that used to make me like mad like let's plot to rush her mat like I was just like I hate this woman so much so I ended up stopped doing PE and hockey and swimming because of her because I hated her so much and then my tutor Mr Shaw love-hate relationship Australian guy I just remember him saying get out Sade get out like <laughs> I got him mad so mad one time that he slammed the door but his hand like just almost missed my face and I was just Ooh. like what are you gonna do you're gonna hit me sir <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> <laughs> because he just got wound up so easily do you know what I mean so it was easy it was very easy to wind him up his solution for me was just to send me away and not actually deal with like the underlying issues do you know what I mean that were going on and stuff in terms of teachers that I like from primary school my last tea teacher we had like a joint class but it was like maybe about 40 students in the class and two teachers I think it's Miss Whiteley or Miss Whitley and Mr Flanagan and they were really cool because they let me create my own song and put it in the school play and I had a solo <laughs> and I really liked them for that and they were just always like so nice to me and then in secondary school Mr Cornish who I used to fancy who was my maths teacher I think I spoke <laughs> about him before so we liked him and then when I went to college it's so bad I can't remember the other guy's name but I had two teachers for media studies the white guy, I can't remember his name, but him and Roy Lee, who was my, I think, yeah, black teacher, second black teacher, but Roy was like, you have to do documentaries. Like, you have to make them. And I made one, and it was so bad because I didn't turn on the sound. So bad. But, yeah, do you know what I mean? But he really encouraged me. And when I wanted to drop media studies, and this time I was, like, I was out of the house. Like I was living on my own in hostels and stuff. Like, the other one, he was just like, you're not quitting. Like, you're just absolutely not quitting. There's no way. Had I not, even Roy, to be honest, had I not had that conversation with him, I probably wouldn't have gone to uni. I just wouldn't, I, there was just so much I just wouldn't have done at that point in time because I think I was around, yeah, during my second year, because I've done A-levels, my dad passed away. Nothing mattered anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like, kind of thing. But he was determined to make sure that I kind of like stuck with it and got through it and I'd never 
really had that before in my life where someone actually really cared. Do you know what I mean? So I asked this question. I just actually, I'm not really sure who they are in my world. I think <laughs> in secondary school, our class tutor, Mr. Robinson, was quite cool. He was just like a cool teacher. So he was just tolerable and cool. And I think, again, similar to Auntie Shade, having coming up for a background that was a bit traumatic, um, I didn't apply myself. So I think Mr. Robinson cared enough to kind of like, look, come on, you can do this, if I was to ever take notice of him. And there was another teacher called Miss Jeffries. She was just a nice teacher. And she happened to have her babies at St. George's Hospital when my mum was a midwife and my mum delivered her baby. So then I oh, became wow. um, friends, kind of like we went to hers for tea. And I was like, oh, I'm going to Miss <laughs> Jeffries for tea. Uh, and so my mum my delivered both her kids. So then we had a kind of like a friendship thing outside of school. But That's so she, cool. was, she was nice, but I will always go back and reflect that no one, I, I felt like my teachers didn't do enough. Maybe that's a lot to expect from them, but I didn't have anyone that really saw my talents and said, look, you can do this because you're good at this. And like I said before, I was always good at English and it took a lot, me having a child to realize that actually, let me try and do something with this English skill that I have. So Mr. Robinson just about is the one that I'd say was a, a decent teacher. And then we had Mr. King from my middle school he was a really strict headmaster and he lived across the road from me, which was always like, oh my God, you live near the headmaster. But he was just, he used to always wear these natty suits, like a waistcoat and gray trousers, like always. And he had a little mustache. He was just really neat man. I don't know what it was about him, but he was really strict, but he was also really fair. And he was a good um, headmaster. Worst teacher too, Miss Keating. Yeah, we used to call her Big Belly Woman. And I mean, that's self-explanatory. I don't know if, I, if, that's, if that's, yeah, we used to call her Big Belly Woman. She was just really horrible. She was a science teacher and she was just really horrible. And then there was another woman, I don't think I should say, ah, can't say her name because she had really horrendous body odor. She was a German teacher and it wasn't oh. like, it wasn't like, I won't say her name, but it wasn't like, you know, oh, she on an off day. Her whole classroom, that was the smell. And it was body odor covered in perfume and it was just, bad so every time you kind of had to steal yourself up to go into the room and it wasn't that she was a bad teacher necessarily well, she used to get unnecessarily angry and obviously being you know rowdy girls we'd be like take the piss we wouldn't take the piss out of her smell but we'd be like oh my god can't breathe and you know do dramatic shit like you could you know <laughs> like as teenagers just make exaggerated <laughs> comments but that whole classroom was very dominated by her funk and it was a lot um and that was it that was the end that's the end Hey, I'm Auntie Shade. You're listening to your aunties could never. It's almost time to wrap up. Before we do, aunties, what's made you sad, mad, or glad? Okay, guys, what's made you sad, mad, glad? I'll go. <laughs> um, so I am glad about the Cardi B and Meg The Stallion video and song What? Because mm -hmm. I love the visuals and I love the song. And you know. I'm mad about the fact that it's getting so much backlash from men, let's face it, who seem to think that it's not okay for a woman to talk about her pom-pom and how it's this and that and what she wants. It is okay. And I'm even more mad because this sent me down a rabbit hole and I looked at all the dirtiest songs um, and the songs <laughs> that had been banned and the top 50 dirty, explicitly sexually orientated songs out of 50, only seven of them are by women. Yeah. Seven. I've got some lyrics. <laughs> I'm going to say this real quick. Real it's quick. Be quick, young lady. Yeah, it is going to be quick. Real quick. Biggie, as much as I love him. Oh, God. He, he talks about, when I get my nut, I'm out the fucking door. He says that shit, right? 
Snoop ain't no fun. I ain't even got to say. I ain't even got to say the rest of it. Mm. Yeah. Mills talks about your pussy's wet. I call it angel dust. Come on now, this is just a few, and that's like rap. There are R and B singers. Donnell Jones is one that sings some dirty, explicit lyrics. Chris Brown's much as I love him, he sings dirty lyrics every day. So I'm just mad about the fact that it's in this day and age, people are still not accepting that it is okay for a woman to talk about what she wants, how she wants it, when she wants it, and where she wants it. Okay. What's okay. Well, anything made you glad, love? I said what yeah. made me glad. The video <laughs> the was video okay. made her glad. Okay. <laughs> I, got, I, got lost, I got lost in the mad. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sad about it too. Right, so literally my sad is the same. Um, wap. I'm sad at the reaction by men and quite a few men that I actually like kind of follow for their opinion <laughs> and admire and the fact that they were just like, this is sacrilege. Like these women are, they are going to be the destruction of humanity type talk was just really like, really bruv, really. I've never seen so many posts talking about hip hop when you have so many rappers really rapping constantly about drug taking who can't even talk anymore because they take so much lean. Never a word about them, but these two chicks, you're going to be like, they are the destruction of humanity, really because of a wet pussy but anyway <laughs> you know so yeah that was saddening that was quite sad on on online i didn't get into any beast with anybody i just carried on scrolling but it was like lip sake i did mute a few people it's good to mute from time to time mm. so that made me sad what made me glad mad was and i didn't know this um i'm not a labor supporter i'm not a conservative supporter I was very much a Labour supporter for a lot of years, but this new guy was actually involved in the cover-up of um, Jimmy Savile when he was going to be prosecuted in 2009, which would have led him to be placed in jail before he died. And what? he was actually a part of the CPS. He ran, so he was one of the officials, that was a part of a committee that said they were not going to prosecute him at that time and that would have been the last prosecution case to actually for the victims to have got some justice while he was alive and they denied that it is clear the denial you know he was old so you know that if you'd gone through prosecuting him because there was so many decades of evidence he probably would have gone to prison but there would have been some type of justice they put that off for the justice to happen after he died. And the fact that this man is now the leader of the Labour Party, that I absolutely can never vote Labour. It doesn't matter what policies they bring forward now, I would never vote for them while this man is the leader. But just sharing that, because it was quite maddening, because I know so many Black people are ardent Labour supporters, just know who the leader is and, and that's the person that's running the party. So this Keir Smith, this new sir, Keir whatever Starmer. his name, he, him, Keir really? Keir Starmer, yeah. Oh, wow. no. That's yeah. awful. Oh, no. I knew there was something. Oh, so, man. Yes, that was oh, no. yeah. What were they For everybody thinking? else in there who is a Labour Party member, look into his history with the CPS, start looking into who he was prosecuting, who he wasn't prosecuting, because, again, that's going to be shaping 
really what his policies are going to involve you know you you have to follow somebody's through line of their their work history to see where they're going to place themselves if they are in power when they get power what they're going to be back in and this man is dubious to me like he really needs to be looked into and our black vote our black agenda we need to remove from party lines and come together and really work out what we're after and we peddle that to any party who's going to back us this is what we're after we don't need to give allegiance to to anybody now like we really need to have allegiance to ourselves and they oh, come along right. and, and try and get our vote um yeah what's made me really glad is i spent the weekend in the forest at center parks and had Ooh. an absolutely brilliant time i went riding every day my bum is still currently sore from riding <laughs> on the park and Ooh. my legs and yeah i was out in the wilderness and i meditated and i had my crystals and it was it was brilliant i had family time so i'm very glad about that i'm very zen other than these small pieces of sadness and madness so what's making me sad is oh, still brianna taylor still no justice there um, although I can see, you know, more and more people are still keeping her name trending, which is amazing. Mad. You know what? Nothing really deeply, but um, we're already in August, <laughs> basically. So I'm just like, that means summertime's really done. That means it's going to be cold soon. So I'm a bit pissed about that. But I am grateful for the heat. So I guess I'm glad for the heat. I like the sunshine and stuff, and yeah, the jammy pop-up went well as well, so everyday friend of being a jammy pop-up, yeah. But um, people really liked it, and like, they had us in the window, so when people walking by, they were stopping, so that was nice. What's made me sad is that I've committed spider murder, and I feel bad about it because there was a spider outside. Spider murder? Spider murder. Because outside, killing a spider. Outside, no. outside, outside my... I'll call it murder. Outside my window, there was a whole big massive web and a spider was just there. And I was like, this is not fair. So I th was throwing things at it to break the web. And then it took a while. I broke the web, it, the spider went swinging. I literally left my room, came back within about an hour or two. Was there not a whole new web and the spider was there <laughs> So then this time I got my aim and I went pew, and the spider just went pew and broke the whole web. And then I felt bad, so I felt like, oh. I really calculated he got rid of it and it was just minding its own business. And though I cannot stand spiders, I don't want them anywhere near me, I felt bad. So I felt sad for doing that. I need to find a way to coexist with bugs. No. Someone help no, me. You what, no, you don't. No. No, I don't. No, what happened? I, listen, I can't help it. I felt sad in that moment. I don't like spiders. I've killed many a spider. In that moment today, I don't know why. I think it's because I saw the perseverance, tried to come for it, and it actually managed to make a whole new web in two hours and come back and I destroyed its life. I'm proud and. I'm also glad that I got rid of it, but I'm also sad. I don't know why. Today I feel sad about it. I'm mad that my new laptop that I literally got to replace a broken laptop died just as I was about to start a live Q&A with um, some people for the Soul Film Festival last week. It made me so mad. So I had to spend another hour or so getting a new one, which really pissed me off. Um, I'm also glad now that the new one seems to be a better batch. Um, I'm just glad for my mother. And I'm also glad now that you've told me about Keir Starmer because I felt like there was nothing. He came out of nowhere for me. And I didn't know about him and I wanted to know more about him. And this is wonderful, good news. I'm glad that we know this now. So thanks for sharing that. Makes me glad. Who are we going to vote for then? Me. It's about getting the agenda. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, whoever's going to back yeah. our agenda. Look, I'll vote for flipping 
raving loony if they're gonna really jump <laughs> on the platform um, <laughs> and also have a, a a path to winning but um yeah. we're important like the black vote is really important so i've been reasoning over you know as i do like why this whole anti-semitic train seemed to coming to the station at this moment from nick cannon mm. to wiley and I was, I, it's been on my mind like why 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 this agenda why is this come along at this point what i've come to the conclusion this week is it's to further separate us so in wake of black lives matter it's like there was a real build-up to kind of black solidarity and then if people jumped on black solidarity and Jewish people jumped on this as well, shit would really change. So in order to really stop the change happening, you put in a, a big boulder between black people and Jewish people so that they start looking around at each other thinking, oh my word, we're so far apart that this one wants to get me, this one wants to get me, then we can't all jump onto the same agenda together to change things this came about at such an opportune moment to stop us really focusing on white supremacy and racism it only seems to have derailed us from where we were all going collectively to changing things it made two oppressed groups start fighting with each other and then you know that Jay-Z's point of nobody wins when their family feuds. There are black Jewish people as Semitics were all actually in this together. We should be working together to change things and not fighting amongst each other, but really start thinking critically of when these things come up, why is it coming up? Why is this a focus for the media to jump on? Like, what are they trying to do to separate us? Because they're strength in numbers. So again, go into the who do you vote for? We vote for the, per the party that is fitting to our agenda, that is making the world more equal, that is going to make Britain more equal. Those are, that's who we vote for. It can't just be Asian people. It can't just be Jewish people. We actually need to collectively come together, all of us and white people who are not upholding white supremacy, and then we'll get changed. So we have to stop fighting with each other. Unpopular opinion. My unpopular opinion is that people believe that staycations are just as good as vacations are wrong. The centre parks might be lovely and amazing and you might get to ride a bike and horses and swim and blah, 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 blah. However, <laughs> it costs so much money, you could get on a plane go somewhere hot and experience all the things that that has to offer for the same, if not cheaper, amount of money. So you staycation people, you need to get on a plane. That's what you need to do. That's my unpopular opinion. They're not the same. I went to the beach on a weekend and whilst it was lovely, let me tell you, I still would have rather been on a beach in the Caribbean. That's all I've got to say. Shadow, any comments before we go? I just want to say it. I don't want to pay to, to eat English food. But anyway, on Facebook, <laughs> on Facebook, Nicola Millington said, this is jokes this week. Koya said, wonderful, Nana. And said that she agrees with Nana. Nick Cannon was a plant in the whole thing. Cool. Guys, thank you. Can you please, Nana, like? I, I feel like we should all say it. Oh, oh. Can we try and do it at the same time? Okay, oh like, comment, subscribe. One, two, three. 
like, comment, no, no, and no. subscribe. So <laughs> one, two, three. Like, like comment, comment, subscribe. And Why do we and sound subscribe. so different? I don't know. Like, what, who are we looking for? Like, like comment, and subscribe. And that's it. Do hit us up on Instagram and let us know what's made you sad, mad and glad. If you want to follow the aunties, here's how you can. You can follow me, Auntie AK, on all social media platforms at The British Blacklist. You can follow me, Auntie Nana, on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest and Twitter at Love Yaya. You can follow me, Auntie Shade, at Shade Salami on all platforms. And you can follow me, Auntie Farah, on Instagram at FarOutProductions77. And that's our show. You've been listening to Your Aunties Could Never podcast, hosted by The British Blacklist. Please listen to us via Apple Podcasts, Spotify and other listening platforms. We're also on Facebook and Instagram as Your Aunties Could Never. Please don't forget to like, comment and subscribe. See you later. <laughs> okay, one, two, okay. three. Like, like comment, 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 and subscribe. And subscribe. <laughs> Why are you being, being doing weird pauses, Akoya?